Okay, um, you guys, for the next two months, we're going to be in a new series called The Reclamation Project. The idea behind this series, let me give you a thousand mile um, high overview real quick, is that I don't know if you're aware of this, but there's a lot of different um, phony mistreatment of who Jesus was in today's world. And we've been given a lot of counterfeit versions of the actual Christ. We want to reclaim who Jesus is, the priority of love, the pursuit of wholeness, the life that each of us are being called into. We want to do it on big level things, systemic level things. And so to kind of whet your appetite, I just want to show you this video really quick. In cahoots with churches, nonprofits, movements all around the country, we are going to be linking arms with others as we try to take on the reclaiming of Jesus for us today. Now, this is this is is uh, it's dangerous in the sense that I don't want this just to be a sermon series. Like I want us to figure out collectively and individually how we transcend the limitations of sermon series, so they're not just cute talking points, but they're actually affecting life change, communal change. Our city is better because we're in this series. And so we're going to be we're going to be getting into it over the next 2 months. Bring your people, stay in the conversation even when it gets difficult because I think this stuff really really matters. But before we get that high and we go to the big level, I'm reminded Michael Franti, the musician, he said, um, the personal revolution is the first and the most difficult revolution. And so I want to start there, which sounds terrific, but, but I'm also like super tired. And maybe it is just this week. I, I literally don't feel like I'm just kind of hazy, even on Christmas. Who was with us on Christmas Eve? One person. Okay. <laughs> Dear, we had, uh, I was so tired. Like it hasn't like let up for me. But at the end of my message, I was telling uh, my wife about this. At the end of the Christmas message, I was uh, praying I forgot how to close a prayer, like could not remember the word amen. I started saying in the name of the Father. That's the, I just want to give you like a lay of the land. That's where I'm at right now. It was like, could not remember. My son asked me today as we went to the Vikings game, he said, because I told him, I said, I feel like I've been tired for so long, man. He goes like, how long have you been tired? And I said, probably like six years. And he goes, dad, that's my age. And I said, I know, man, it's crazy. It's the weirdest thing. Terrible coincidence. 
But I just, um, <laughs> I just, I just feel tired. And do you know what's making me even more tired? Speaking of this whole idea of revolution and everything, the thing that makes me more tired are the people who aren't tired. The people who are like still out there trying. Do you know what I mean? Like they're not content just to go on the couch and eat donuts with me all day. They actually still want to impact the world around them. Case in point, I have a brother-in-law named Jeremy. We sat down. He's from, he lives in Chicago. In for a few days for Christmas. We were sitting down two nights ago, and the topic of the new year comes up. And naturally, he says, and we say, we're having this, what are your lofty aspirations for 2020? You know what I mean? Like, what are you going to do? And I say, by all means, you go first. He goes on to tell me, he says, okay, so I've written down a few things. Keyword, few things. He goes, in 2020, I would like to, straight face, I would like to finish my dissertation. I would like to raise $2.75 million for the school that we started a couple of years ago. I would like to handwrite in Hebrew the book of Exodus. I think that probably has some nutritional value. And I would like to read bare minimum like one book a month. That's his few things. And he goes, Matt, like, what are you thinking? <laughs> and I faked a phone call and I walked away because <laughs> I had nothing to say. Like, I'm hoping I can graduate to the next level on Clash Royale, but that's really like as lofty as it's getting for me right now. And so I tend to kind of cringe up when we think about like New Year's resolutions. And I think part of the problem is, is that I'm always tired at this time of year. Because if I were to actually set out and write down some New Year's resolutions, they would essentially just be like a copy and paste from the year before. Maybe with like in parentheses, it would say like for real this time though. Like I'm serious about it this year. But I just am losing like an energy. And just the idea of resolutions, this is really helpful for me to be able to say this out loud. I feel like I'm doing some of my own personal work in front of you. This is great. But the idea of New Year's resolutions is, is exhausting to me. And so one of the things that I have decided to take on, one of the things I want to invite you to take on, is perhaps slowing our role and tapping our brakes when it comes to this idea where we need to create new resolutions, at least before we commit to some new restrictions. I want to explain to you tonight what I mean. And that's not an original concept. This is uh, dated back 2,000 years to a man named Paul. We see this in, the, in his letter to the Corinthian church. He writes a letter to a church that is in all kinds of a mess. We've talked about this church before, but they were at a point where there was power struggles, there was political tantrums, the poor were being further impoverished, the marginalized were continued to being uh, mistreated, and and. The overall theme of that church at that time, according to Paul, who wrote to them, was that you forgot the plot. You stopped pursuing love. Paul says that you, you, you can do a lot of different things. You can preach real pretty. You can prophesy. You can see things that a few people can see. And you're even generous with your cash at times. But if you don't love, you're just hot air. You're just taking up space. Faith and hope, those are very, very good things. But if you're being told that you have to move to a deserted island and you can only bring one thing with you, bring love and leave the rest. Paul reminds them in this rebuke of a letter, he, he reminds them what their proper aim needs to be. But then he reveals for them what their obstacles presently are. Paul says this to the ch church in Corinth. 
When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child, and I reasoned like a child. When I became an adult, however, I gave up childish ways. And the subtext of that is, when will you all do the same thing? When will you give up your childish ways? Because Paul knew when he did. The book of Acts reminds us not once but twice that Paul was a Roman citizen, which is a big and important detail. Because when you're a Roman citizen, there actually is a very important time where you put away your childish things. At the age of 17, though it's a little bit debated among scholars, that's not important, but roughly the age of 17, a young boy at this time, at Paul's time in a Roman society, would be told by his dad that it is now time for you to go from boy to man. Regardless if he had facial hair, regardless of the things that he had gone through, it is time. And so they would have this massive um, celebration, this party. They would bring in their family, their friends, old teachers. They'd bring in anybody that's been anybody in that boy's life down to the amphitheater in town. And they would kind of gather around him and it would just be a big thing. It would be a big throwdown. And when everybody was present at the theater, the boy would walk in with his dad. And while he was walking in, he'd be wearing this old toga which had this uh, like golden rim around the neck. And the purpose of that was to identify who were the kids and who were the adults. So the boy walks into the party with the gold rim around his neck. He walks down to the bottom in front of all of his peers, fam, and friends. At that time, he takes off the gold rim and he takes off the old toga. And at that time, the leader in the community with his father next to him would give him a brand new toga to wear. This is called a liberalia. Happened March 17th of the Roman year. After this moment right here was a significant next step. The young boy, after getting on his new robe and taking off his old robe, would be carrying with him a box filled with all of his childish things. And he would proceed from the amphitheater to the temple of Apollo behind it and place on the altar a box of his childish things. Pogs. Whatever, I don't know. Like that childish thing. That's the only thing I can think of. Pogs. What's another toy? When Paul is trying to speak into these people's present experience, he is talking about a past event. He actually did at one point have to put away childish things. Now, the one advantage that he had in his story compared to the advantage that we have in ours is that Paul had a dad who named the date when he would go from boy to man. We do not have that. We have to choose it on our own. We have to decide, like, when, when are we going to put away the childish? If nobody's going to hold our hand and point towards the calendar and say that now is the time where that old mess, the things that you started but never did come to a stop, now is the time when that's going to come to a stop. We have to make, we have to own our own lives. And so have you put away the childish things? Now, childish can mean a lot of different things, right? I mean, because it's all subjective. When you think about childish, you might not have been into pogs. That might not have been your thing. You might have been into video games or, or dolls. Is there any other toys in the world? Why can't I think of any toys right now? Credit cards? What? Credit cards. 
trading cards is going, wait a second, what kind of childhood did you have? <laughs> Sign me up for that. <laughs> trading cards, baseball cards, that's my kid's big thing right now. But, but think about what he's speaking into them. Because he is speaking into a church that would have been filled with Roman citizens. So I actually don't think he's trying to reach into their toy cabinet and say, you guys, you really need to get rid of this thing. There's been a, you're a little over it, don't you think? But there are some things that got started in that community when they are young that need to come to a stop. There are some things that, that, that never did make their way into the box. There are some things that are keeping them from living their life the way that God intended it to be lived. And so I don't want to make this a complicated talk tonight because I really think that if we overcomplicate it and overarticulate it, we're going to make it into something that it's not. But what are the things that need to go in that box for you? Like what are the things that you have been carrying with you in 2019 that you will not bring with you into 2020? What are the things that are holding you back, the limitations? Maybe it's, it's, this, it's an addiction. Maybe it's just disorderly living. Maybe it's, maybe it's people that you don't want to be around anymore because they're not actually lifting you towards a better place. They're dragging you back towards a place you don't want to go. At. What are the things, what are the places, what are the people, what are the things that need to come to an end so that your life can finally begin? What belongs in that box. I was thinking about this with a friend the other day and I've asked you guys this question but he asked me it and it was that question of what are you pretending not to know? Do you know what I mean? Because I think if we think about it there, what are the things that are holding you back? We all have some things that we don't want to think about but we can't help but think about like that is the limitation but we don't know what to do with that. We've learned how to cope with it so we're not sure if we're ready to cancel it. What are the things that you're pretending not to know? What are the things that you, you just learned to live with? What is it that is, if you didn't have this, whether to blame, whether to use as a crutch, if you didn't have this in your life, what would it mean for you? Are you scared to cut it out? And how do you evaluate your life? How do you go about deciding what is, what, what is healthy and what is not? I love that song that KJ sang earlier. Both of them. All three of them. I love them all, really. But one in particular, that I am a child of God. Easy to say that, which is why I love the double down, yes, I am. One of the things that's interesting about Paul's text here that stood out to me this morning is that Paul doesn't say that I put away childish things and then I became an adult. Paul says that I became an adult and then I put away the childish things. See, sometimes I think we get it twisted and we think, well, once we get the new thing to come in, the old thing will go. That's why we have a lot of men and women who are waiting for Mr. or Mrs. Wright to come along without ever thinking, maybe I should become Mr. or Mrs. Wright while I wait. I'm waiting for a silver bullet to make the pain go away, to make the, the struggle stop. But Paul says that I didn't look towards what I was doing to dictate who I am. I looked towards who I am to dictate what I needed to do. My identity precedes my activity, and if it does not, I will try to derive my identity from my activity, and that never works. It, it never provides what I'm hoping it will give me. It always falls short. 
And so who you are is not up for grabs. On good days, on bad days, in your highs and in your lows, you are a child of God. You are loved just as you are right now. You are accepted. You are celebrated. You are worth it. You are wanted. You are valuable. You are valid. You are seen. You are loved. You are a child of God. That is who you are. So now what do you want to do? In light of knowing who you are, what do you want to do? What do you need to bring with you to the altar? What are the things that are keeping you from seeing your story in high definition? Rumi, one of my favorite quotes, and I probably have used it too many times, but he reminds us that your task is not to seek for love. Man, these are the words of Paul to the Corinthian church who had lost the plot on love. Your task is not to seek for love, but merely to seek and find all of the barriers, all of the childish things within yourself that you have built against it. Paul said that I decided who I am and that dictated what I do. I didn't look towards my doing to determine who I am. And so I guess I just wanted to come before you tonight on this last gathering of 2019 and ask you to consider what is it that God is going to do through you in 2020, once you figure out what you will not do any longer in 2019, what is it, the thing, the, the hopes, the, the place, the posture, the presence that God wants to cultivate in 2020 in you that currently is being dismissed and denied and delayed by what you are doing to yourself in 2019? What belongs in that box? Real talk, I have a box. I know this feels like seventh grade youth group, but you're going to love it. This box is so legit, it even says in Sharpie, childish things on it. Right? Yeah. What I want to do during the words of institution is I really want us to consider, you have a note card that you were given. Um, this is a time to declare it. Now, obviously, for us, there isn't an event where we can just turn in our childish things. I'm going to turn in selfishness or sarcasm and just all of a sudden be here. That's just not how it works. I don't know if we ever quit these things. I think we're always quitting these things. It's just not a clean-cut thing. But that process can start tonight. You, tonight could be a spark where you actually can identify what you need to eliminate where you can identify what are the things that you don't want to carry with you anymore because they're not, it's not working. Paul says five, three chapters before this one, you, he says to the Corinthian church, you guys, everything, green light. You have a green light on all activities. Everything is permissible. Go ahead. Let your hair down. Do what you want. But not everything is beneficial. And so maybe actually to do a pause at the end of 2019 and do an autopsy on the fruit that was picked from your tree. Was it good fruit? Were good things coming? Was the things that were permissible, were they actually beneficial or were they just a burden? Did they make you wider or did they make you more wounded? Did they bring you to a closer place with others or did they close you down to be just with yourself? Write down one to... 38, that's an arbitrary number of things that you don't want to bring with you. Or maybe just things that you proactively realize, I don't want this to be my default mode anymore. I'll tell you mine. 
one of my, the safe ones that I can say out loud without you guys judging me because I know how you get on Sunday nights, especially in tired weeks like this. I've realized that for me, I want to work on not being so default, well, case in point right there, <laughs> sarcastic. I don't want to be so sarcastic all the time. I really don't because I think a lot of times I use it as a shield when I should be vulnerable and, and I use sarcasm or I try to be funny to try to keep people from getting close. And so that's not actually consistent with who I'm trying to be, who I believe that God says that I am. And so I want to work on that. I want to take my life more seriously. I want to prioritize that thing going into that box. What might that thing be for you? As we get into this back half of worship with the great KJ. I want to invite you as you come up for the bread and the wine, which are the eternal reminders that you are loved, that you are sufficient, that you are enough. Um, I want to invite you to consider in light of who you are, what is it that you no longer need to do? What, what is the thing that you need to set down so that your life can rise up? During the worship, when you come up for the elements, just drop that in the box. Let me pray for you. Jesus, thank you, Lord, for being with us, God, on this last Sunday night of 2019. God, we are tired. I'm projecting, but we all are tired. But you're still good. And God, you are calling us forward at all times. You are a God of progress. And you are a God who sustains us in the struggles. We have not fully arrived, but we aren't where we once were. And that's only because of your grace. So God, give us the courage to name the things that we'd rather avoid. And Lord, equip us, empower us to take our lives a little bit more seriously in 2020. We are so excited to see what you are going to do through them. In Jesus' name we all pray. Amen. Matt said that uh, the bread and the cup, that these are the eternal reminders that you're loved and that you're enough. But as he said that, I was thinking that the very first time that Jesus gave the bread and the cup to his friends, um, it wasn't eternal for them. That was a revolution that Jesus started that night. Because it was the first time that these friends who were gathered had heard that Jesus wanted to bring in this new reality, this idea that everybody's in, that there was enough room at the table for everyone. You didn't have to be a Jew. That it was for, for everyone, for Jews and Gentiles alike. And so, yes, now these elements for us can be a, a grounding time, a time for us to, to sit in this idea that we're loved just as we are and that we're all welcome to this table, that we're, we all have a place here. But that first night, I wonder if the disciples heard the revolution in the words that Jesus said. It's my body broken for you. And I think in the same way that Matt is inviting us to sort of leave these childish things behind, I think that Jesus also was starting, was sort of kicking off this revolution and he wasn't waiting for anybody to sort of say, yes, Jesus, we are with you. We are going to bring the Gentiles along. 
we're, we're, we're following. He just started. Everybody's in. Are you going to join me in this? So there's, an, there's a, an invitation here. There's an opportunity for us as we come, as we leave behind the childish things. Will you take up this mantle of loved, of enough, of belonging? And can you share it with someone else? Can you make sure that everybody knows that they're also um, welcome at this table? The way that we uh, celebrate communion here is <clears throat> we remember that the night before Jesus died, he gathered with the friends. He started the revolution by saying, this is my body and it's broken for you, for all of you. Whenever you eat this bread, whenever you drink this cup, this new covenant in my blood, I am starting something new. Do this in remembrance of me. Uh, while the music plays, we'll have three stations here in the front. There will be gluten-free elements here in the middle. We invite you to come, to, to tear off a piece of the bread, dip it into the cup. Leave your note card here. And uh, would you stand with me? We're going to say the Lord's Prayer together. Our God, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.